we're talking about the renewing of the mind, faith in God means not only do we change the way we think, but we adopt God's way of thinking. Faith is actually saying that the way that God thinks is the right way to think. Many times we place faith as an idea of saying, I believe that God has forgiven my sins, or I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. Both of these are true. However, you can't say that you have faith, confidence in God and in who God is if you reject the way he thinks. This is Nita Erlene, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries podcast. Renewing our mind is part of living by faith and something God calls us to in dealing with desire. As believers, we have the Spirit of Christ indwelling us. That does not mean that we automatically are freed from evil desires, but it does mean that we are freed to be able to allow God to work in us and transform our desires. Here is Tori Bjorklund, President of TRC Ministries, teaching on the process of renewing the mind in part four of our series dealing with desire. So where we left off last week, we were talking about the process of transformation. And if we're going to have a change of character, we need to have a holistic approach that's based on the life of God in us. And I talked about the, where do you start? The interdependency between thoughts and our will, and about thoughts and feelings in our will. And... Um, so I submit to you that the biblical model of transformation begins with submitting to God, which then we receive life. And so everything from that point forward, we're talking about people who have the life of God, the eternal kind of life in them. And that goes from there to renewing the mind, then purifying the heart, and then presenting the body. And so when we receive from God a new life, um, then through the truth that is illuminated, that's why the renewing of the mind that is illuminated through the truth that is illuminated by the Spirit. Once our mind begins to be renewed, it will lead naturally to the purification of the heart. And that's kind of how I want to show that process um, over the next couple of weeks. And then finally, it will enable us to present our bodies as living sacrifices, as an example, that was talked about this morning from Romans 12, 1. Also, presenting our bodies as instruments of righteousness. So, we'll get into each of those three areas coming up. So, I want to talk about renewing the mind. So, this is the impact of truth influenced by the Holy Spirit. So, I've said last week, temporary measures will not succeed. We must change the way that we think and since desire is a feeling, we also need to change the way that we feel. Doing that is in the realm of the Spirit of God and of truth. So truth affects these areas of our life. We must possess the thoughts. We need to have thoughts that will defeat those that lead to the sin from which we want to be free. So Jesus said, if you sin, you are a slave to sin. Do you remember him saying that? And so if you are a slave to something, you need to be freed. And he said, what brings that freedom? It's the truth that sets you free. If you are my disciple, then you will know the truth, 
and then the truth will bring this freedom. So we must possess, in essence, the thoughts that will defeat those that lead to sin and the thoughts that will lead us to the freedom that we desire. So this is why transformation only begins with repentance. Repentance is a change in thinking. That is really the beginning. Now I remember my experience. My repentance did not look like what people thought of as repentance. In the tradition that I came from, there was these, this idea of the sinner's prayer. And you could pretty much go through the checklist and, and make sure that you accomplished each of the items in the sinner's prayer. And one of the first ones was saying, God, I'm sorry for my sin. And the thing that I came to realize through my experience with God coming into my life was the first thing that I needed to be addressing was my willingness, or in that case, my unwillingness to allow God to be God, to allow God to rule and reign. And I was not recognizing his right to do with his creation as he saw fit. And that became the change in thinking for me that led to God placing his life in me. And so repentance is just simply a change in thinking. That thinking might be in various different forms for different people, depending on what it is that they're thinking that is contrary to God. Generally, it's thought of and taught in the Bible as our thinking regarding sin righteousness and judgment. That's the, the three things that Jesus said that when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And it's true that that comes to that. But some of us, like in my case, are not quite ready to actually even, I mean, we have to deal with something even more fundamental than that. I had to deal with something more fundamental even than sin. In fact, for me, I already agreed that I was sinful. I had no issue with that. I knew I was. I had no issue with judgment. I believed that I was going to hell. However, what I didn't believe was God's right to reign and rule. So the second thing that ends up happening once we, we start with this repentance is this idea of faith towards God. Now, biblically, it's often put together. It's not necessarily that these things are separable. Oftentimes, you couldn't even maybe say which one comes first. And so we don't need to get into that detail here. But the point that I want to make of, of faith is confidence in God's thinking. If we're talking about the renewing of the mind, faith in God means not only do we change the way we think, but we adopt God's way of thinking. Now, I'll tell you, that is a much more difficult than we sometimes admit to. For example, I've heard several times, well, God doesn't want me to be a floor mat. Have you ever heard a statement like that? And I'd say, where did you ever get that idea? You see, we have to have faith in God's way of thinking, which says what? Turn the other cheek if somebody strikes you on one cheek, right? I mean, now, we don't have time to go into why that might actually be a good idea. But faith is actually saying that the way that God thinks is the right way to think. Many times we place faith as an idea of saying, God, I believe that God has forgiven my sins, or I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. Both of these are true. However, you can't say that you have faith, confidence in God and in who God is if you reject the way he thinks. 
So that's something that we need to get to as well. And then as we go through that, as we experience this confidence in God's thinking, then we have this spiritual teleonomy, if you remember, that is that directed process that is life, and that brings us to the mind of Christ. This is what Paul said, we have the mind of Christ. Do you remember reading that? We have the mind of Christ. Now, in the context of that, he even, he even said that the Spirit, you know, who knows the mind of God but the Spirit of God, right? Who knows the mind of man but the Spirit of man? But we have the mind of Christ. So this is the process that we want to see happening in us, and we can't really make this happen. You can't just simply decide that you're going to push your will into place and make it do this or something like that. But we can, we can get in the way of this happening. We can refuse to cooperate with this happening. But this is the natural process, and if we see this happening in our life, it leads to transformation. So, the renewing of the mind is the beginning of this transformation process. So I want to just take a real quick a brief review here about desires. I want to say a few things about desires because we're talking about how to deal with desire. And I want to put it into the context of renewing the mind as a means of dealing with desire. But we need to have a clear understanding of what desires are what we're talking about. So we've said this before, desires are formed by how we think. Now obviously, if desires are formed by how we think, renewing the mind would be a good strategy for dealing with desire, wouldn't it? Desires are formed by how we think. Our desires are based on our value system, okay? Our aspirations and our longings are formed by several factors. So aspirations, the things we aspire to, the things we want to be, or we want to see happen, and the things that we long for are formed by several factors, and we talked about that at one point. And so we have these social influences, we have physical experiences, and we have these experiences and habits, we have our opinions, all of these feed into forming our value system which lead to our desires. Now, so I want to make a point here though, that when we have desires that disturb us, just before I say that, you might remember also we talked about this double-mindedness, how we want to be good, but we also want to have our way, and this leads to a conflict within us. And now as believers, not only do we want to be perceived as good, we actually want to be good. This is one of the things that comes with the life of God, is a desire to be right. Not correct, but correct, but right with God, or righteous. And so when we have this, and yet we have other desires that disturb us, one thing I want to point out is we can realize at that point that being disturbed by evil desire is a confirmation that at least with our mind we agree with God. Okay, so if we have desires that are evil and we are disturbed by that, if we are distressed by bad desires... I want you to not allow the enemy of your soul to cause you to go to despair or to encourage you to go into despair. I want you to take the fact that you are distressed by evil desires as evidence that you do take in your mind an agreement with God. Now, Paul talked about this in Romans 7, right? You remember that? 
He said, with my mind, agree with the law, but yet I saw all kinds of things being carried out that were contrary to the law in myself, in my own body. Okay, and later we'll talk about that whole dynamic. But I want to start with the idea that there is some hope for us here. Okay, when we are disturbed by evil desire, we are in our mind agreeing with God, and this is a good place to start. We do not believe that our desires define us. I want to say that again. Do not believe that your desires define you. Okay? Character is not defined by desire. Character is defined by the choices that you make. Do not believe that your desires define you, nor by the way that they're unified, because remember talked about that division of desire. So that's a place to start. The fact that we have this division of desire can actually also be a positive and not just simply a negative. Okay, so it's a place to start. I want to point out, this is to me a significant, a very, very significant point. There is hope for change. Now, we might not have time to, to get as far as I want to get today, but I want to make sure that we get this home. There is hope for change. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Jesus have to deal with wrong desires? Yes. Yes. We're told that Jesus was tempted in every point that is common to man, right? To mankind. Jesus had to deal with wrong desires. So, we can understand that if even divinity in the form of total humanness has to deal with desires, we will never be free from having a wrong desire, at least while we have this nature, okay? So, I don't want you to think that I'm saying that we can be rid of error that is wrong. However, there are people who are in despair who will choose to no longer live if there is no hope for them to deal with the desire that they have that distresses them. Now, we can sometimes encourage children, for example, to delay gratification, and we can use that as a strategy at times to help us deal with desire that is not inappropriate in certain conditions, and we can say, this is a good desire in the right conditions. An example of that is, is sexual desire is natural, and it's meant for the bounds of marriage. And we can say there's nothing wrong with having that desire that's natural, but the fulfillment of it is intended in the condition of marriage. And so we could put off, as young men, for example, I was encouraged to put off until marriage the fulfillment of their natural desire. However, there are desires that we may encounter that there is no appropriate fulfillment of that desire. There is no possible way that you can fulfill some desires and be correct. There's no bounds for it. They're completely out of bounds. So we will always have desire. It's a natural state of the human condition. And not all desire is intrinsically evil. Within bounds, it may be appropriate. It may have its place. But some desires have no place. They are always wrong. And it is these desires that I believe the Bible puts forward as something we can be freed from. The desires that are always wrong. I believe that we can find substantial freedom from that. Let's turn real quickly here. Colossians chapter 3. 
where it says, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Somebody find that and, and read that. Colossians 3, 5 through 10. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Okay, so these are things that are always inappropriate. These are the things that invoke the wrath of God. Okay, but the reason I brought up this passage because I wanted to talk about the fact that what is being put forward here is that we can cooperate with God in having these things killed off in our life. These inappropriate, out-of-bounds desires. Okay, so are we clear that we will always have desire? There are some desires that are inappropriate under certain conditions, but they might be a good desire under other conditions. And there are some desires that are never appropriate, that are never good to carry out, okay? And I believe that the Bible teaches us that these are the ones that the Bible wants to, us to see freedom from. So the question of what does that mean to be free from that? So let me say, first of all, I have an opinion on this. I think it can be defended with scripture, but not as clear black and white. So other people might disagree with this and might have a good reason to do so, but I believe that Jesus was never tempted to murder somebody. And I believe that there are certain things that are evil desires that Jesus never experienced. And one of the reasons for that is because there is a path, Now we talked about this last time, that God allows men to experience the result of the path that they take. And going down this path leads to more and more evil. This is the nature of desire. And so there are certain desires that are in and of themselves evil that I believe that God wants to remove from our life. Now, does that mean that you will never, ever experience them again? At some point, yes. Does that mean as of this moment you will never, ever experience them again? Possibly not if you're experiencing them. There is a process by which God delivers us and transforms us. It's not a flip of the switch. Nobody has proposed that scripturally. In fact, we wouldn't have all of the admonitions to do the things that are recommended to become free of things if it were an automatic flip of the switch. However, yes, I believe that there can come a point where the desires that have come as a result of pursuing natural desires to the excess, that these can actually be removed from your life. The evil, evil desires, the perverse desires, and these kinds of things that are listed. The issue that people tend to have is it's like, well, you said live comfortably. So we tend to want to go to, you know, let's go black and white, okay? So if I do this formula, then I will never experience this again. The Bible never puts forward a formula because the process of transformation is an individual process that is accomplished through a relationship 
and you will find no formulas for relationship. Period, paragraph. There are no formulas for relationship. Okay? So you can't just have everything as clean as if I take this step and I take that step, then this will never happen to me ever again. However, I do believe evil desires come from cultivating certain things in our life and can be removed by cultivating the opposite things in our life. Now I can say that I have been tempted to murder somebody. I have contemplated murdering somebody. I have planned to murder somebody. I have not had that experience since I've been a believer. However, I have worked from the time I was a new Christian or shortly thereafter until now on not being angry. I have worked to deal with certain areas of my life that lead to the extreme. So will I continue to deal with anger? Yes. Will I continue to deal with the inappropriate and sinful expression of anger? Yes. Will I continue to deal with being angry in a way that would condemn me before God? Yes. I'll have to deal with those. Will I deal with allowing my anger to go to the point of actually murdering somebody? I think not. And this is the nature of desire, and hopefully we can come into more of that. So yeah, I am proposing that there are certain desires that we can be eventually completely free of, but we can't flip a switch and make them go away if we're having them. And there are some desires, as I said, that we will always, as long as we have the nature that we have, it's the nature of being human. And this is why Jesus experienced the humanness and had some of those natural desires and had to overcome those desires that came in the form of temptation. So not all desire, but certain desires. Jesus came to be an example, and by being an example, he condemned sin in the flesh, Romans 8, 2. And he also learned obedience. He also was tempted in every way that is common to the human experience, and he did it all without having sinned. To be tempted is to be faced with the opportunity of evil and to have that opportunity. So in other words, it wasn't impossible for him. He had the opportunity and he chose against it. And that is why he came through as the mankind who is fully man and fully God. He came through as being perfect and having overcome sin and death. So point out that there is hope and there's no need for despair, but there is also certain human experiences that you will have to deal with because you are human. Thanks for listening in today. Our vision at TRC Ministries is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the church, using the resources of the kingdom of God. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, go to www.regenerationcenter.org.